Parker and the whole worship team a, a round of applause for sharing their gifts with us each week. They always do an awesome job. I'm curious this morning on this Labor Day weekend, how many of you have work off tomorrow? Raise your hand. Woo! How many of you, if you could take Wednesday off, you would take Wednesday off as well? Okay. How many of you, if you had enough financial stability in your life, you would just quit your job tomorrow? Okay, wow, that's most people in here. Okay. <laughs> y'all are really loving your jobs right now, I guess. Well, I don't know if y'all have ever played this game. My mom and I used to play this game when we were on long car rides. We would drive by the billboard and we would see, you know, the Mega Millions jackpot. And we would say, okay, if we won that amount of money, how would we spend it? So I was driving to church this morning and I saw, I think it's Mega Millions or Powerball is up to 166 million right now. Now, I don't play the, the lottery for a variety of reasons. We won't go into that today. This isn't a sermon on the lottery and whether it's good or bad. I don't play the lottery, but I like to think about what it would be like to win that much money. And so my mom and I in our car, we would, we would just dream together and just talk, and it was fun in the car rides. And I, it's, you know, it's fun to think about what would you do if you won $166 million, right? I think I would, I would pay off any debt I had or family members have. Hopefully, we don't have more than $166 million worth of debt in this room. Maybe I'd pay off all y'all's debt. Pay off the church's debt. Uh, you know, I'd do all that stuff, and then I'd probably buy, I, I, we don't own a house, I'd probably buy a house, but I'd probably buy, you know, like four houses. I'd buy one here, maybe one near the church, you know, one in the mountains, one on a lake, one at the ocean, and I would pay people to maintain those houses and cut the grass so I didn't have to do that. And you know, one thing I've always wanted is a self-driving car, and when those hit, once they're safe enough, I'm going to be one of the first ones to get one if they're affordable because I want a self-driving car so I can nap and I can just do stuff in the car and chill <laughs> while, while it's driving me around. So I'd probably get a self-driving car, maybe get Emily a bracelet or a necklace, you know, or something. No, I'd get, just kidding, just kidding. No, I would get her whatever she wanted, anything she wanted she would have. I would probably send my dog Henry. He's getting big now. I'd probably send him to like elite obedience school. So that, you know, I could teach him tricks like, you know, if we said, let us pray, he would just kneel down and, you know, he would just be viral all over the internet. I would do a lot of different things. It's a fun thing to think about what you would do with all that money. I mean, what would you do if you won $166 million? Do what? Whatever you wanted, right? Whatever you wanted. Now, this is fun, right? If, if you're dating, this is a fun first date question to ask somebody because what somebody would do with $166 million is very revealing about them. But you can talk about it at lunch as a family because it's interesting to see different people's answers. But one thing I found is that pretty much everybody will say the same thing. When they assume that they've won this $166 million, pretty much everybody assumes that they would immediately quit their jobs, right? It would immediately quit their jobs. Because while some people love going to work each day, by the poll we saw earlier, a lot of people kind of dread work each day. And Mondays can be kind of tough waking up, and sometimes it can seem kind of purposeless, kind of like, okay, we got to do this because you got to provide for your family. You got to have some money to make your way in this world. But a lot of people, if they were honest, would probably just quit their jobs tomorrow. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves, that we would rather not work and just live a life of leisure, right? Walking along the beach, picking up seashells, maybe grabbing a starfish, throwing it in the ocean, and then just 
walking along the beach, listening to the waves every single day of our life. Doesn't that sound nice? It sounds nice, but yeah, I think it would be nice for a little while, but like Gwen, Gwen said, I think I'd probably get bored with it after a while. I think if we were just doing that every single day, just walking along the beach, listening to the ocean, throwing the shells in the water, I think we get bored because God actually created us to work. God created us to work, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. We've been in the series Relationship, talking about different shifts or changes that God wants us to make in our lives with people and different things in our lives. And today I want to talk about the relationship we have with work, the way we view it and the way we engage it. And a lot of weeks we've been going back to Genesis, looking at how God created us to be, who God created us to be, how God created us to live. And one of the interesting things when you go back to Genesis to the very beginning is you see that before sin ever entered into the world, Adam and Eve worked. And even before Adam and Eve were working, God was at work. And so if you go back to the very beginning, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to, I think in your Bible, it's probably page number one, Genesis 1, chapter 1. This is what we find. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see God at work, doing creative work, creating the stars, the moon, the sky, creating the cosmos. Here at Genesis 1, chapter 1, we see God creating, and eventually we find that he created Adam and Eve in his own image. And so in verse 26, it continues, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So you can see this idea of, of work here. And then in Genesis chapter 2, as we kind of get a zoomed in account of creation, we see this in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And now, I don't know if you've ever been back to Genesis and kind of read these early passages through this lens of work, but like, like you see here, we serve a God who works, and even in the very beginning when everything was good, we see people at work. And so that means that there are some fundamental truths here, right? One of them is that, that work is good. Work is not some intrinsically bad, evil thing. Work is good. God works. That means our work has dignity, and that our work has some kind of bigger sense of purpose in this world. And now, when the Bible was written, this was a very controversial idea because in many ancient Near Eastern religions, the idea of a God working is crazy. Because a God wouldn't work, the people would work for the God, but no, no, a God wouldn't work. And so here in Genesis, when we see God created, it was a very countercultural idea. That this God we serve is a God who works. And then even in a lot of other religions, the idea of work is this idea that it's some kind of evil thing that has infiltrated the world. That eventually we'll get rid of because work is no good. And a lot of us view it that way 
as well, right? Work is this kind of necessary evil that we have to do each day. Mondays, right? There's so many Monday memes out there, right? Mondays are terrible, and we'd rather not do them. But if this is true, that God is a God who works and that God created us to work, then that means that we need a shift. We need a change in how we view our work and how we engage in work. And now when I'm talking about work here, I don't want you to have this kind of rigid framework in your mind like a a nine-to-five job where you clock in and you clock out because clearly that's not what Adam and Eve did each day, right? They didn't have some kind of clock system. They didn't have some kind of fancy system. I'm not talking about a nine-to-five job. I'm not talking about some kind of specific career. Here I'm talking about what we see in Genesis. We see God calling us to engage in work, creative work, work that creates, work that sustains, work that oversees other people and all of creation. And so for some of you, right, if you're a student here, I know we've got some students here, your work is going to be a student each day, and it's learning, and it's preparing for future work. Some of you here, you have a 9-to-5 job where they, like, ping you if you're two minutes late to your... Who here has that kind of job, right? Where they, like, ping you if you're two minutes late on the time clock. Some of you here, your main source of work isn't actually in a workplace, but maybe it's taking care of kids or grandkids. Some of you are retired, but you're not excluded from this message because your work, maybe it's, it's through volunteering. Maybe it's through serving other people in your neighborhood or in your community. We have all sorts of different types of work here, government work, clerical work. We have work that seems very meaningful and purposeful and then we have work that seems kind of like, what am I doing with my life right now? There's all sorts of different kinds of work because God created us each uniquely as we've talked about. But yet for so many of us, work, it just seems like this terrible thing that we have to go through each and every day when the alarm clock goes off and we'd rather not do it. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of us view work negatively and view the work that we have to do no matter what it is negatively is because of what scholars call the sacred and the secular divide. I don't know if you've ever heard this term. But, but to help you kind of get an idea of what the sacred-secular divide is, I want to I ask a question. And you can shout out on this. What is the holiest job you can think of? Pastor. Oh, thank you. I'm so holy. What, what, what else? Pa- holiest job you can think of? The Pope, okay. What else? Monk? Missionary. Okay, what other holy jobs do we have? Nuns? Teachers, okay. What else? Police, okay. Post hole diggers, okay. Y'all. Watching your kids, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of different ideas we have when we think of holy work. But when we think of holy work, a lot of times... Like you heard, the first answers that that go to us are things like the Pope, pastor, missionary, Bible study leader. Because we kind of view those things over here as those are holy things, those are sacred things, those are godly uses of work. And then over here, we we kind of categorize other things, right? And we're like, okay, well, maybe we have uh, teachers... Maybe we have, you know, uh, admin assistants. Maybe we have clerical stuff or people who are working remotely from home. What are some other jobs y'all have that you feel like aren't very holy? Do what? Mechanic, right? So we kind of put mechanic over here and we say, you know what? Okay, you go and you work behind the scenes 
at the factory, filling boxes, you're over here. And so we tend to have this divide between these two groups that these things are sacred and holy and godly, and these things are secular, maybe they're godless, and maybe they're just, they're just kind of worldly. Yeah, you have to do these kinds of jobs. And a lot of times we think that there's kind of this wall in the middle. And that one day, you know what, if you're, you're godly enough, then maybe you can hop over the wall and you can become a missionary and really engage in godly work or become a pastor. And the society we live in kind of builds up this wall, and the church sometimes add to it, adds to it as well, thinking some things are sacred, some things are secular. And so you have the church over here, and then you have maybe the public school over here. Over here you have a Bible study and a connect group, because it's churchy, and then over here you have just dinner with your friends. Over here you have, you know what, somebody leading a Bible study. Over here... You have someone who's taking care of kids. And a lot of times we think of this divide between the sacred and the secular. But the problem with this image that we have and the way we view work and different roles that we have in the world is that this is a false divide. Because the God we serve is a God who is at work everywhere. God's activity isn't just limited to the church and to when we're wearing, you know, I love Harvest Point Church. God is at work in your workplace. God is at work in the community. God is at work in the factory. God is at work in the field. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work in all times and all places, drawing people to himself. His grace is at work saving people outside the walls of the church. His work is healing people beyond this context. And so this sacred and secular divide has kind of shaped how we view work and how some work is good and all this other work is bad. And there's a pastor um, from London, England, named Dick Lucas. And one time he was trying to help his church understand this divide and to, and to think about the sacred and the secular. And he said this illustration. He said, look, if there was a book table out in the lobby of our church, and there was a book out there called The Man God Uses, or The Woman God Uses, you'd probably expect that it was a biography about a missionary. Probably a biography about somebody who was in full-time ministry. Because that's what the church over time has kind of implicitly taught people. That those roles and those types of work are the ideal. And everything else is just whatever. He said, but what if I told you that book called The Man God Uses was about a government bureaucrat who worked for a pagan nation? You might be a little surprised. But he said that book is actually about a man named Joseph in the Bible. I don't know if you know Joseph's story. It's in Genesis chapters 30 to 50. I encourage you to read it. One day we might do a sermon series on Joseph. But Joseph's story is kind of complicated. It's kind of wild. When he was a younger kid, he was sold into slavery. Eventually he found his way into Egypt and um, was serving Potiphar, who was high up in the Egyptian government. And it was kind of a wild series of events we can't go into here. But then eventually, Joseph, it was revealed that he has the gift of interpreting dreams. And so he made his way up in the Egyptian government. This wasn't some kind of, you know, Jewish nation at the time. This was a pagan Egyptian government. He became high up in Pharaoh, became one of his chief administrators. And what was Joseph's job at the time? It was overseeing a lot of administrative stuff. Because he had learned about this dream this vision that there was going to be a time of famine and then, or there was going to be a time of kind of feasting and good and then there was going to be seven years of famine. 
And so during the seven years of good, he was really just an administrator, right? He was kind of like pushing papers. And he was saying to people, hey, we got to collect some grain here. we got to collect this here. we got this event coming up. He was doing a lot of logistics, a lot of planning for this government. And, you know, I wonder if when he was at work each day, he was wondering, what am I doing, right? What am I doing? But then eventually, at the end of the story, we see that God was using this administrative, clerical, governmental job for great good because when the famine came, the people were able to be fed. And ultimately, through that grain, God was able to keep his covenant promises to Israel. And so through all of this, through this kind of work that we might not think is, is cool, we might not think is holy, you know what? Joseph probably didn't consider himself doing ministry each day when he was doing all of these logistical stuff. But as he was working, God was working through him. And what I want you to see this morning is that's true for you. As we work, God wants to work through us. As we work, no matter what kind of work you do, God wants to work through us. And so if that's true, we have to shift the way that we think. And so we have to think on Monday mornings, you know what? I have to go to work today. We should shift it to, as I go to work, God is going to work through me. As I go to school today, God is going to work through me. Instead of, okay, I have to do all these mundane things today, like go to the doctors and all this stuff. We have to think, as I go about these mundane things, God wants to work through me and do something magnificent. This is a shift we have to make, and Paul actually speaks to this shift in Colossians 3.17. In the New Living Translation, it says this, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, to God the Father. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And notice, notice how it starts. It says, whatever you do, right? Whatever you do, your job is not excluded here. You're not a special case. Whatever you do, whether you're in the field, whether you're in the factory, whether you're in the school, whether you're on a computer, whether you're taking care of somebody else, whatever you do, Paul says, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. And as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, the second line here is really the kind of overarching work that God has for you in the world, no matter what your workplace is or what your employment status is. And that is to be a representative of the Lord Jesus. Right, our main sense of work isn't to work hard and to try to earn God's favor or earn God's love or earn God's mercy. Because through the work of Jesus Christ, we've received the gift of salvation. We've received God's love into our hearts. That's not some work we have to earn. Through the work of Jesus, we've been set free from that. But as followers of Jesus who've received his grace into our hearts, he then calls us to go out and to be his representative in the world no matter what we do. And to think about what it means to be a representative, you can simply look at the word, right? And if you break it up into two, you have re-present. So you can think of representing Jesus as presenting Jesus over and over and over again through your words and through your actions to other people. 
That's our calling, to be representatives of the Lord Jesus. And now for some of you, this is kind of easy to put together with your workplace, right? Especially if you're in like a helping profession. You know, if you're a nurse, you're thinking, okay, well, Jesus healed people. And so as a representative of the Lord Jesus, as I'm doing my work and I'm helping people become healed, well, well then I, I kind of make that direct connection. Or maybe you're a counselor and you think, okay, Jesus wanted people to become whole. I'm helping people become whole so I can kind of make that connection. But some of you, you're like, I don't know how I'm supposed to represent Jesus in my workplace or, or make this connection or live out my faith. And it, it's a little harder in some jobs. But in every single job, in whatever you do each day, you have the opportunity to represent Jesus. And I just want to hit briefly, there, there's three ways, I think, if you're having trouble making the connection of how you can represent Jesus at your workplace or what you do each day, there, there's three things, I think, that can help you think about how you can represent him. And the first is thinking about representing Jesus with your attitude. And to simply ask yourself, do I represent Jesus with my attitude at work each day? I don't know if anybody's workplace here does like 360 evaluations. Y'all ever done one of those? It's where all your coworkers send in anonymous feedback about you, and then they like give you a report with all their feedback. You know, it's interesting to think, what if they did a 360 evaluation on your attitude and they gave it to you? I wonder what they would say. Because Paul, right before this in Colossians chapter 3, he says this. He says, clothe yourself, be full of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so in our workplaces, as we're going about each day, and whatever we do and whatever we say, we have to ask ourselves, are we representing the attitude of Jesus? And if we're not, the good news is God offers us forgiveness, and he offers us his Holy Spirit, which empowers us to live with that same attitude. So that's the first thing is your attitude. The second thing is with your actions. Are you representing Jesus with your actions in your workplace? Paul also, right before this, he says some actions we should do. We should bear with each other. We should forgive one another. We should not hold grievances. We should be full of love. We should get rid of anger, slander, and filthy language from our lips. We should be honest. And so on Monday, when you go to your workplace, you have to ask yourself, am I representing Jesus with my actions? When other people are being dishonest and cutting corners and, you know, fudging numbers, am I being honest with what I'm doing? Am I bearing with that coworker who is pretty much unbearable? I mean, can you imagine how your workplace would be, and maybe your small workplace, maybe your large, if all of the people who profess faith in Christ, if they began to really live as his representatives with their actions, can you imagine what that would do to your local workplace? I mean, just imagine in the southeast, right? Maybe you did a poll of everybody who's a Christian in the southeast. Imagine if all of those people said, you know what? I'm going to be a representative of Jesus with my attitude and my actions in my workplace. Can you imagine what the industries, how they would shift here? Can you imagine in our country how things might change? Things would begin to shift, but here's the thing. God wants the shift to begin with you. He wants it to begin with you in your workplace with your attitude, with your actions, and the third thing is with your awareness. Because one of the things we see about Jesus is that Jesus, he was fully aware of people's spiritual needs, 
their physical needs, their emotional needs, as he was traveling and as he was encountering others. And this is the one I struggle with the most, is awareness. I think we have a slide for it. There it is. Because, you know, we're so busy. And we're focused on getting our work done, getting all of this stuff done, that we oftentimes overlook other people. And now I know a lot of workplaces, right, if you sense, wow, there are some spiritual needs in this place, I'm going to start a Bible study on Tuesday morning in the break room. Look, I know most workplaces aren't going to let you do that. That's okay. But here's the thing. A lot of workplaces aren't going to let you post a flyer for Return to Bethlehem or other church events. They might not let you blast Christian music on your thing. I don't know if that's like representing Jesus well or not, but it's better than a lot of the alternative. A lot of businesses might not let you do that kind of stuff, but most businesses, most workplaces and environments will let you care for other people. They will let you pray for other people privately in your cubicle or privately in your home. And most workplaces, if you ask your coworker, hey, could I pray with you or talk with you, and you engage them about their life, most workplaces allow that as well. They allow you to care for one another and to be aware of other people. And this is the way we can be a representative of Jesus. Andy Stanley at his church, he tells them to be aware in their everyday lives of the three knots. He says, if you hear one of these, your antenna need to go up. He says, if you hear somebody say, you know what, I'm not in church anymore, or I'm just not in church, or things are not going well, or if you hear them say, something happened that I was not prepared for. He says, be aware for those three knots because when those knots are in somebody's life, a lot of times there is an opening for God to work in a special way. And you should be aware that maybe God is wanting to use you in their lives. But you have to be aware. You have to be open. You have to have your focus on more than your work. And the good news of the gospel is that our identity is no longer rooted in our work, right? And achieving and accomplishing. Our identity rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you know what? If you have to take care of a coworker for a few minutes and the report is a little late, that's okay. That's okay because our identity is in Jesus and Jesus wants us to represent him above all else with our actions, with our attitudes, and with our awareness. And then Paul, he closes the verse and he says, in all of this, give thanks. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God for the gift of work in your life. Give thanks to God for all the gifts that he's given you in your life. Give thanks. That's another overarching thing we see. And I met a guy recently who really kind of embodies this verse, and I'd never known him before, but his name is Nathan King, and he's the operations manager at the Dwarf House in Stockbridge. And now I know I've mentioned Chick-fil-A two weeks in a row in my sermons as sermon illustrations, and they're not paying me to to do product placement for their new take-home chicken dinners that you can just get at any Atlanta area location and put in the oven for $16 and have Chick-fil-A in your own home. They're not, there's no like kickback here. I love their diet lemonade. I love their chicken. I love Chick-fil-A. And so I was there recently at the, the Stockbridge Dwarf House and was with a group of pastors. And Nathan King was telling us his story. And he was telling us how he really views his job and his work as an opportunity to be a representative of Jesus. 
And so he was talking about how he does that with his attitude, with his coworkers, with his actions of how he serves the customers and other people. But the most interesting thing was when he started talking about how he does it with his awareness. And he didn't use that word, but he began to talk about how while working at the, the Stockbridge Dwarf House, he became aware of something, and it wasn't the people who were necessarily inside and his coworkers and everything. It was more of the people who weren't inside of the Dwarf House. And he became more aware of the homeless who were around that area, here in Henry County, right? We have a lot of homeless people here in Henry County. And there, it's at the border of Clayton County. And he became aware of all of this all these dynamics going on right around his store. And so when Chick-fil-A started this campaign called Beyond the Red Door, which is kind of beyond the doors of Chick-fil-A, he began to sense that God was at work in this situation through his work. And so he started this project, and he's invited us to be a part of this project. And I want to show this video to let you hear from him, kind of in his own words of how God was at work at Chick-fil-A in his workplace. My name is Nathan King. I'm the operations manager for the Stockbridge Dwarf House Chick-fil-A. What a lot of people don't realize about the Clayton County, Henry County area is that our homeless per capita is one of the highest in the state. Everyone always thinks about going to Atlanta, they always think about going downtown, but no one ever thinks about just walking our own community, the people we can affect here. It's almost like we're scared to admit that this stuff goes on within 100 yards of where we are. 12 years ago, I was homeless. Up in Knoxville, I lived on the streets. And it took a lot of time and a lot of conversations with God to understand that it wasn't because he had turned his back on me. It was because I had turned my back on him. And my prayers went from me being angry with the Lord to asking forgiveness and for, to asking for help that he brought into my life a, a woman who I actually went to elementary school with. And her and her family invited me down here to Atlanta. They helped me get back on my feet. And it was still a struggle until I landed here at Chick-fil-A. And I started here eight years ago as a dishwasher. Uh, one day a week I did dishes. One day a week I'd bust tables. One day a week I'd work for Wherever they could find hours for me. But I was just the happiest man on earth because I was working. And within eight years, I, I'm now the operations manager. And I've, I've been given this platform, this opportunity to reach out and help. I'm, I'm looking to churches to help us get blankets, to get scarves, to get hats, to get gloves. And my main goal to all this was to affect one person. When I was homeless and on the streets, someone helped me, and they helped me to break the cycle. If we are able to minister and witness to and affect one person and helps them break the cycle, then all the time and effort and energy that we all put into it is worth it. So what I'm asking is for you to please partner with me, to partner with the Stockbridge Dwarf House Chick-fil-A, and to partner with, with our community to go out beyond the red door.
love about his story is that he's just a manager doing his job and this opportunity came up and he, he made these connections because he was aware that God wanted to work through him at his workplace. God wanted to use his past experiences, his present circumstances to help change somebody else's future. And I show this not, not to highlight all of this and wow, okay, this is, this is so awesome. It is. But I highlight all of this so that you can maybe see how God wants to work through you in your workplace. How maybe God wants to use some connections, use, use your attitude to transform the culture there, use your actions for your workplace to move beyond itself, use your awareness. And um, so we are, we are going to partner with Nathan and the, the Stockbridge Dwarf House to collect specifically socks and blankets this next month. And uh, then we're going we're gonna to collect those at Chick-fil-A. And I don't know if you know this, Chick-fil-A is open on some Sundays. They're going to open up on Sunday so we can go and organize everything. As long as they don't cut on the machines, they can open up their doors for community service and other things. And so one Sunday, we're going to have the opportunity to go there and to do all of that. And so I hope you'll bring in socks and blankets in this next month. And I'm excited about that and how it connects with our vision of, of reaching 10,000 people. But what I'm more excited about is to hear stories from you in this upcoming month and to hear how God wants to work through you as you work in your workplace with your witness because I believe God wants to do great things and it starts with that shift. And so tomorrow I want you to rest if you have the day off and then Tuesday I want to invite you when you wake up to say to God, God, as I go to work, how do you want to work through me today and let's ask God to transform us together God we uh, we come before you many of us tired tired of work tired of dead end jobs feel like a lot of what we do is pointless each day God that's where we are but we pray this morning for a transformation for a transformation in how we see the places that you've planted us, God, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. God, wherever we're engaging in the work that you've called us to, we pray that you would help us have eyes to see people around us in need. God, that you would help us to have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. God, that you would help us to have actions that point other people to you and to your great love. God, forgive us for for trying to find our identity and sense of purpose in our work because we know that only comes from you. But God, also forgive us for just going through the motions each day. And God, help us as we move into the future to be your hands and your feet. We ask all of this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I want to do this. Uh, Thomas, if you'll uh, join me over here, if uh, this is kind of random where I'm planning on this, but if, if you want prayer specifically about work this morning, um, Thomas, I, Emily too. Emily, I'm calling. Anybody else want to be called upon to pray publicly? for? Okay, Pushpa's in the back. Emily, you want to join Pushpa in the back? Um, I'm not going to call on anybody else to pray, so that's okay. But Emily and Push will be in the back. Thomas and I will be up front. But if you have something going on in your workplace, maybe it's underemployment, lack of employment, maybe it's crazy employee, I don't know. 
But if you would like specific prayer about your work and your workplace this morning, uh, we want to make ourselves available to you. And so we'll be up here and during this final song. We invite you to come and to receive this.